uh, or welcome up my friend and one of the elders of this church, Steve Strickler, who will be sharing with us uh, the scripture this morning. So, Am I on? I'm, oh, hey, yeah, I'm on. Okay. So on right now. <laughs> uh, thank you, Dan. And I just want to start with two things that I wasn't sure I'd ever say. Um, one, I'm giving the sermon. And two, the Cubs are in the World Series. <laughs> so, I don't know what's happening. No, um, yeah, I'd like to start with just a little bit of prayer, and then, uh, yeah, we'll get into it. So, Father, um, you are the creator of the universe, and who am I to stand before you right now and to speak your word? Um, but I am so grateful for the call that you put on my life. Uh, to to be a member of this church, uh, to to be diligent and uh, in studying your word, praying without ceasing, and to uh, to be somebody who can stand up here right now and just share a bit of themselves uh, with uh, these people. So I just thank you for that. I pray that you bless this time, and uh, yeah, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so. I'm going to begin, like I always begin, with uh, the beginning of the year with my students. Uh, I teach 8th grade math at Washington Middle School, and right when they walk through the doors, I usually share who I am, uh, where I was when I was 14 years old, because that's usually the age that they are, 13, 14. And uh, go ahead, uh, Brandon, and just advance to the next one. So I've got a picture of me when I was 14 uh, right there. And I usually ask my students, like, what do you see when you look at this guy? And I can ask you that now, so go ahead and call it. What do you see when you, when you, when you look at that? What, what is it? Great haircut. Great haircut, thank you. Thank you for that. Goofball, yep. Okay, that's the one I was looking for, and that's the one I usually stop on, is what are you looking at? And uh, I'm not, I don't want to look at the camera. That's the thing, is I, every picture that I took from that time on, was me trying to avoid looking at people looking at the camera because I was, um, I felt condemned by the way I looked. Uh, let's just say puberty was not kind to me. And uh, my face broke out with terrible acne, uh, so much so that I'd look in the mirror and not be able to look in the mirror. Um, I would just look away from it. I had many instances of breaking down and crying because of how my face looked. And there was one moment I just remembered so vividly. I went up, I was downstairs in the bathroom weeping, and I came upstairs and I couldn't stop because I was trying to like dry my eyes before I got upstairs. And uh, I got to the kitchen counter, I just broke down, I just put my face on the counter. And my mom's like, what's wrong? <laughs> you know? And I was like, you don't know? Like, how do you not know? Like, what's going on with me right now? So uh, I felt condemned. And that feeling didn't leave. I felt like it was a death sentence, this face of mine. And I'd walk through the halls of school with my head down, trying not to make eye contact with anybody, hoping I didn't bump into anything. Uh, because every eye that was on me, I felt it. Because I knew the way I looked when I looked at myself. And I was like, I didn't want you to see that too. So it hurt. And I went through chemical peels and drugs through the dermatologist to try to fix it. And uh, there's this one where I put the stuff on my face that would harden. I had to keep it in the fridge. I had to keep it cold. And then uh, it was this white stuff, and I put it on my face, and it would harden, and then it would like start to flake. And I just, 
I would like go through school trying to see how much stuff I'd get on my desk, you know, <laughs> you know from the stuff flaking off. And I went through chemical peels that were it'd just peel my face off, basically. Uh, it was it was terrible. So I'd much rather just not go to the dermatologist and let it run its course. I think. And that's my image was tarnished. Um, I felt everything, and I didn't feel like I belonged anywhere. Didn't have Christ in my life. Um, really didn't have an identity. So I would assume the identity of my friends. You know, whatever they said, I would say. Whatever they did, I would do. Um, because I felt like I was worth nothing, and they seemed like they were pretty cool, so i just do what they did. And if I could just do that, then at least I would like belong somewhere. But I still didn't feel like I belonged anywhere. Um, parents never told me they loved me. I think I, I, I knew that they did, but it was never verbally said. I think there's a lot for saying that. So that's when I was 14. Uh, and then as I went through high school, uh, my parents separated when I was 17, and that was really hard. They got divorced the next year when I was 18. And when I went off to college, I basically just stayed away from home because there, I didn't know where home was. My dad was still living in the house. My mom had moved into an apartment. And I didn't want to, like, take sides, even though I was kind of siding with my mom because of the circumstances. I still didn't want to take sides, so I just kind of, like, stayed away. And I was like, I don't want to, you know, I, I just want to be gone. I just want to be gone. So I went, I went to Bradley, and just kind of Christmas break, I just wouldn't go home. <laughs> I'd just stay in my apartment. Uh, summer break, I would go work, play baseball over the summer, and just not really uh, be around my parents. So I, f- again, felt like I was lost. Um, and what defined me at that point was baseball for a lot of it. Uh, I, I, played, I got a scholarship to play baseball at Bradley, which is awesome, and I'm uh, th- very thankful for that. But that's kind of what defined me as a person at that point. I was Steve, the baseball player, you know? And when baseball was good, life was good. And when baseball was bad, life was bad. Uh, go ahead and advance to the next one, uh, Brandon. Oh, wait, we're too far ahead now. Go back to the one picture with Aaron and I. Was that up there? Okay, uh, so this is the last picture I could find before I gave my life to Jesus. And I'm still looking away from the camera. <laughs> you know, I still don't want And Aaron's right there behind me, and this is over at her house. And I don't even know if it was this night or not that I gave my life over to Christ, but I, it may very well have been. Um, it was, I was over at your place, and I think it was snowy, and I couldn't go home, so I had to stay over, and I slept in the basement. <laughs> and uh, that night, something happened. Um, so I was, I very much felt like I was going to die. I mean, I, I can say that, you can be like, yeah, whatever. No, oh, I felt like I was going to die. Um, I was huddled up in a chair in the corner of the basement, and there's, I felt this thing in my stomach like it was tearing me apart from the inside. Okay, so I was just here, and I was like, like this, and I, it just came over me in wave after wave. I was like, I don't want to die, <laughs> you know, so I just called out to Jesus over and over again. It's like, Jesus, 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 and I didn't even know what I was, why? And I was like, like, why am I saying the name of Jesus? But that's the only thing that I can think of that saved me in that moment, and It brought me peace, you know? And this was like leading up to that moment, I took a comparative religion class in 
uh, sophomore year, in the spring, and they went through all the religions, you know, and it was uh, Buddhism, Taoism, Islam, you know, anyone you can name. Of course, they saved Christianity for the end. <laughs> but every single one that I looked at, they were so self-centered. And I, were, I was already self-centered. <laughs> it was like, here's how you achieve enlightenment. Do nothing, and then boom, you're like enlightened. I'm like, it, it seemed so, it's so, also about man, and so about what you could do to get to heaven. And I was like, I'm already doing stuff, and I'm not, it's not working for me. So I finally, uh, they got to Christianity, and I learned a little bit about it. And that summer, I read all the Gospels pretty quickly. And I was just, I was amazed. I was struck by the love of Christ and how he served people and loved people. And the way he would heal them was so intimate, you know, just by like taking them aside and, and rubbing mud on their eyes so that they could, and wiping it away so they could see again. And like just how close he was with the people that he had compassion for. And I was like, that's what I want, you know, that's what I want. And I didn't accept Christ in that moment, but I, was, I looked at it, it was attractive to me. The, the gospels were attractive to me. You know, and then going back to school and having people like Aaron and Jen and Amy and Anthea and other, bringing me to church, you know, which I didn't want to go. I thought those people were weird. <laughs> you know, like, why are they singing and putting their hands up? What's this all about? There's a bunch of weirdos in here. You know, praise God. Like, okay. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, but it still something struck me. It was, it was the sermons. As I listened to the sermons, it sounded like truth. You know, it sounded like, yeah, that sounds right. Um, and then that night, it just, it all hit me at once. The condemnation I'd felt for my whole life, not being accepted. You know, I just gave it over. So I didn't tell anybody for like three or four days. <laughs> Because I didn't want them to think I was weird also. <laughs> or that I, it was an experience that I couldn't really describe really until now. I'm like, this is what happened. And uh, I wanted to keep it to myself. But then in church, the next time they brought me to church, because they're still bringing me, I wasn't going voluntarily. <laughs> I was talking with Pastor Tom, and I was like, you know that thing where you like accept Jesus? Yeah, I think I did that. <laughs> He's like, What? What you, what? I was like, yeah, I, th- I just like kept calling out the name of Jesus. He's like, yeah, okay. So he prayed over me um, and then continued later on to disciple me and meet with me on a weekly basis. So we went through the scriptures together, which was just amazing. I'm so privileged to have him in my life at that time. Um, but then I started to read the scriptures on my own, you know, and I was like, okay, I hear this book of Romans is pretty cool, you know, so maybe I'll, I'll read some of that. And I think the momentary, like, peace of not dying and having Jesus save me had left at that point. And now I was just trying to figure out what is Christianity about? What does it mean to follow Christ? Okay, so this is me trying to do it for the first time. And that brings us to um, our scripture for today. So uh, we're going to go to Romans uh, 7, if you want to turn there with me. Uh, forgive this summary of Romans 1 through 6, but I just felt like I had to cover some of it (laughs) because it can't plop right down in the middle of Romans 7. Uh, But Romans 1 through 6, chapters 1 through 6, um, basically righteousness is achieved through faith. Example of that would be Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness. 
Um, now that you've accepted Christ, we have peace with God and his love has been poured into our hearts. You know, I have this, this image of a fountain, this, this dry well, you know. You look at it, it's dry, there's no life there, and all of a sudden it's just, whoosh, you are now just filled with the Spirit, with this overflowing water that gives life, you know, and, and it overflows to the people around you, at least it should. Uh, forgiveness of sins shows God's grace, so should we keep on sinning? This is like my favorite verse in the Bible, you know, because I just love saying it every time. It's like, uh, if you've sinned and you've been forgiven of that sin, that shows God's grace. So if you use that logic, it's like, well, I should just keep on sinning because I'm showing how good God is. Look at this, you know. He's so amazing. He keeps forgiving me all this stuff. By no means. No, we shouldn't do that. Now that we understand the love and acceptance of Christ, and of God, we should uh, try not to sin <laughs> because we know that hurts our Heavenly Father. Uh, once we were slaves to sin, but now we are slaves to righteousness. We were condemned, now we are free. We're off death row. So uh, that's a brief summary of Romans 1 through 6. I highly encourage you to go back and read it. Um, but let's start in 7. And uh, actually, before I move on with that, I keep getting sidetracked, sorry. Uh, it's just like, when I read that for the first time, okay, let's, put, let's go back. You know, like when I read it for the first time, it still really hadn't hit me yet. I was just kind of reading it, you know, I was reading it. And I thought, this is nice, you know. And it's kind of like a surface level problem. And I'm a math teacher, so forgive me, but go ahead and go to the next slide there, Brandon. Okay. It's like, if I showed you this equation and I asked you to solve it, does it mean anything to you? Do you know what X represents? I mean, it's just, it's numbers and letters on a page, okay? And yeah, I can show you the procedures for solving it. You can distribute and then combine like terms and then add eight to both sides and divide by five and you get X equals four. And you can plug it back in and make sure it's right. Hey, that's cool. Okay, but it's like, oh, okay. It's not a real world example, all right? I, don't, I didn't tell you that X is, you know, a set of unknowns for how many apples you have or anything like that. It just doesn't mean anything to you. And that's kind of, it's not that it didn't mean anything to me. I mean, Romans 1 through 6 meant a lot, but it hadn't, like, hit home yet. It hadn't plowed down into this, the surface, okay? And then let's get to Romans 7. Um, starting in verse 7. And forgive me, Dave, because Dave told me that uh, Romans 7, verse 6, if you can understand that, you can understand Christianity, Based off of what, N.T., right? <laughs> Forgive me for that. So I'm skipping to seven, you know. It's like, oh, I picked the wrong verse. <laughs> All right, let's pick it up in seven. What shall we say? The law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what, what it is uh, to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I, once, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Um, is the law sin? No. The law reveals sin. Okay. That's interesting. And then when I read verse 10, 
and said the very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. I thought that was an interesting verse. It's like, um, that's an intention getter. <laughs> the very commandment that I thought promised life proved to be death to me. I thought this was supposed to be good, the law. I thought this understanding that you shouldn't commit adultery and you shouldn't lie and you shouldn't steal and you should honor your parents and you should love the Lord your God. Like, I thought those were good things. And it says no. Um, I mean, yeah, they're good, but it, it made me realize that I couldn't, I couldn't do them. I couldn't live up to those standards. So that was an, I, I felt that. I really did. And then uh, when we get to verse 13, this is where it really gets real for me. And I'm not going to read this the way that uh, we typically do. I know Dan would go through and read the whole thing and then go back and analyze systematically, line by line. Um, I'm actually going to read and stop because that's what happened to me when I read it for the first time. Uh, so let's read 13 through 16. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but the very thing that I hate. Now if I do what I do not want... Now, if I do what I do not want, I'm going to stop there. Because you know what? I had to stop there. Realizing for the first time that there was things that I was doing that I shouldn't be doing. I understood that I was, okay, Jesus saves me. Um, okay, I got that. Jen called me up like the next day and she said, how are you saved? You know, I was like, Jesus? And I was like, I didn't, is that the answer? And she's like, She's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> but now, a couple months into it, for the first time, I realized that, wow, there's stuff that I'm actually doing in my life that I'm not supposed to be doing, like lusting and being envious and these things that I want to have, I'm coveting. I want to have these things that other people have and I don't have them. Um, there was a lot of stuff that I was doing that just struck me. And I, I could not physically finish this verse. I, it's not, it wasn't a lack of reading ability, okay? I could not read it. I said, now if I do what I, now if I do what I, do, I slammed the book down. I said, I can't read that anymore. You were supposed to be good. You were supposed to like make me happy. I thought that's what it was. I thought Christianity was supposed to make me happy, you know? And I'm reading this and all I feel is the same stuff I felt back when I was 14 years old and my face was full of of pimples. I felt convicted. But it was different, though. At first I felt condemned. Here I felt convicted. And I didn't return to the book for a week. I let it sit there. Because it was real to me now. And conviction doesn't feel like love in the moment. You know, it, it's dark, it's lonely, it's isolating, it's penetrating. It gets down into those places of your soul that you didn't even know existed, and it, and you wish probably that they never existed, and it, it brings it right here, and you got to deal with it. And it's like this is the stuff that I need to deal with. I don't want to deal with that stuff. I don't want to tackle my lust. I'd much rather just keep on lusting. I don't want to tackle the greed that I have in my life. I just I'd much rather just try to get more, make more money. It's easier. It's more more lucrative for me. 
but it just came right here. So, and if I had stopped reading at Romans 7, 16 and not gone back to it, I would have stayed there <laughs> in that conviction, but never understanding the grace. And I would just, I could have walked away and said, I don't like the way this makes me feel. And unfortunately, we have a lot of people that do that. We have a lot of people that they get to that point in their lives where they experience, they taste and see that God is good and that Jesus is good. But then they walk away because they feel like it's too restrictive or they don't understand what happens later on in the book. You know, they still keep reading. So I could have walked away feeling condemned and lost. Fortunately, God had other plans for me. Okay? I came back to it a week later. And I picked the book back up. I was like, all right, I'm going to do this again. I don't want to do it again, but I'm going to. I'm going to revisit this. Give me a moment to find it again. I'm, uh, okay, I'm going to read 13 again, but this time I'm going to keep going. I'm going to go all the way through 24. And I'm going to stop there for uh, a, a brief moment. Verse 13, chapter 7. Did which is, that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I, for I do... <laughs> see, I can't even do it. For I do not do what I want, but the very thing that I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. You guys see the build up here? <laughs> it just keeps building and building and building. And we keep going. So if I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? It's a cliffhanger. I'm going to stop right there for a minute. You probably, you're still reading, I'm sure. <laughs> no, don't keep reading. Commercial break. All right, Brandon, where are we with this? Yeah, good. You're still with me. Round two. I haven't even looked back there in a while. <laughs> good job, you two. Uh, it's, it's that verse 18 that I'm, I think I got it up there. Yeah, go ahead and pull up verse 18. It's right above. Oh, no, we're going there first. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. It's right above it. It says, For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. And that makes me think of like people who they have these these sayings or these things that like, oh, I I tried, you know, I gave it my best effort. You know, I I have the desire to do I just I just can't. You know? I gave it my best. Fought the good fight. Okay. And those are like those famous last words, you know, if people have like, well I tried, I gave it hundred percent. I just, just came up short. And if the Cubs would have lost, I would I would have said that about the Cubs, you know, like sorry. I kick things in my classroom all the time, too. Knock garbage cans around and whatnot. <laughs> kick desks. Uh, but it, oh, they came up short. They fought the good fight. And that reminds me of a, a song that I w- it's, 
uh, by Jars of Clay that, I mean, this, this group has uh, really impacted me a lot in my spiritual walk because a lot of their songs have, have hit me in different moments. And um, if you go to the words of that song here, Famous Last Words, uh, it says, Narrow is the road and too high a price to pay when loneliness is such a sanctuary. Empty are the musings and wasted are the days when you say you were only waiting. And famous last words, I'm not ready yet. I'll only be gone a minute and I won't forget. Famous last words, if tomorrow never comes, will I ever know that I was in love? Will I ever have known love if I just stop here and say, well, I tried, I have the desire to do what's right, but I really just can't figure it out, so I'm just going to give up. And that's, that's not where we need to end. Jesus' famous last words were, he didn't try, it's, it's, it is finished. That he, he did it. You know, We need to keep going and understanding the grace that is available to us. We can't stop in condemnation and conviction and just be like, this hurts. We need to experience, you know, that moment when you're just, you feel like you're going to die and you just call out to Christ and say, wretched man that I am, who will save me? Who can I call, who can I run to? Can I run to my friends? My dad? Who? And And then we get verse 25. Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Sums it up right there. Jesus? (laughs) It's not the Sunday school answer. It is the answer. It's Jesus. I mean, what are you looking for? Where where do you want to be? Do you want to be in that moment of condemnation? Do you want to give it all over to Christ and say, you know what, I can't do this. I've tried. I've failed. I want to serve you, but I can't, I can't physically do it. Do it for me. I give it to you. And, and then you, just, you experience the grace. It doesn't mean that you're going to be sinless the rest of your life. I keep on sinning. I keep on doing stuff I don't want to do. But I know that there's grace. And I don't, I don't have all the same sin in my life that I had back when I was 14 and 18 and 20. And even five years ago, it looks different for me now. But that's God in me, the law in me, showing me this is sin too. It's like, oh, that too? No, not that. Let me have just one little piece, you know? Like, let me hold on to something. No, that's sin too. You need to work on that. Okay. Wretched man that I am, I will keep working on it. I will give it all over to you, God. Jesus, work through me because I can't do it. So, that's, uh, I turn the page. Where do I belong? That's the title of my sermon, is Where Do I Belong? Like, I've been searching for it my whole life, you know, up until that point. And then I didn't feel like I belonged anywhere. And, and this just feels right. It feels like home, you know. I'd stayed away from home for so long, uh, didn't feel like I could go back. And this is home. You, you guys. I knew I was going to do this. <laughs> yeah, they really are. 
I cried when our baseball season was over. Our middle school season. And it wasn't because I was, I was sad that we lost. But when I looked at the tears in the guys' faces, I was like, this isn't home. <laughs> you know, like, this isn't where we belong. This is baseball. This is just a game. Your residency is in heaven, you know? And I just want them to, like, to know that, like, it doesn't, this doesn't matter. It's just some, some game we lost, you know? Okay. I'm going to get my stuff together here. Um, I need to reference, reference Revelation because Dan just went through it for like six years. <laughs> oh, it was eight months. Sorry. In Revelation 5-2, we see the same thing happening where... Um, I need to turn to it so I can read it. It's like where... Who, who do I turn to, you know? And there's this throne room scene in chapter 4, which is amazing. And then we get to chapter 5. And uh, in verse 2 it says, And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep. I began to weep. Like, loudly. Because no one was found to be worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. It's like, who's going to be the one to carry out God's plan of salvation? Who? Who's going to save me from this body of death? Oh, look, it's the Lamb. It's the Lamb of God. He's the one who's worthy. So that's who I trust in, and that's who I give my life to. All right, it's time for application. Um, If you're in this room right now, you're probably in one of three places. You're either a non-Christian, and uh, if you're a non-Christian and you still feel condemned like I did, um, I invite you to taste and see that the Lord is good. Um, Do this by accepting God's authority over your life and the world. Realize that you are a sinner, that you've sinned against God. It's okay to realize that. It's actually a good thing. Um, recognize what Jesus did on the cross as a completed work for your, the washing and cleansing of your sin. And then accept the free gift uh, of grace by repenting and turning from your sin and embracing God. Dan's described it as a simple turn. Like repentance is, I'm going this way towards destruction and I turn and I say, God, I'm going to follow you. I'm not going to go down that road anymore. That's repentance. And then with that, you respond to this gift through your, your obedience to his word and compassion for others. Okay? Read his word. Try to understand it. That's what I love about Don, is that he has a thirst for the word of God, and he wants to understand it better than anybody, I think, sometimes. He, he wants to understand the word, and that, that's how we all should be. Is like, I want to understand this. I want to get into it and know what it, how it applies to my life. I don't just want to read it and then walk away from it not being changed. Uh, and then... Also, if, if you're a non-Christian, realize that you're not the center of the universe. You may have heard that from other people. Like, you're not the center of the universe. Well, you're not. And when we put ourselves in the center and God's around us, things are just going to fly apart, okay? The solar system is like a certain way for a reason, I think. <laughs> I think the sun's in the middle, you know, and it keeps everything kind of there. So if we're in the middle and we have God on the outside, it's not going to work. When we stop that, 
and we turn and say, I'm going to make God the center of the universe and put him in his right, rightful place. That's, that's what we need to start doing. And then if you're a new Christian, like I was when I was 20, you need to understand that conviction is just a step in the process of sanctification. Sanctification is that ongoing process of realizing your sin, dealing with it, realizing you can't deal with it, giving it over to God, okay, and saying, God, work in me to help me. You, you, you've, you've done it. It is finished. You can defeat it. And trusting that that is true and seeing him work in your life. And he's faithful and true. Um, and then don't stop where you are. Don't give up because you don't feel good, because you don't feel like you're happy because you're dealing with sin for the first time. Keep going. Keep reading. And realize it's a war. You've got to put on the armor of God. Um, in our life transformation group, uh, with Dave and Rico and Doug and I, and uh, now we brought in another guy, brought in Eric, which is really cool. Um, we were challenging ourselves to like, memorize scriptures on a two-week basis. And I chose the armor of God because I love it. And you've got the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. For shoes for your feet, you have the gospel, which is the good news that carries you on. Pick up your shield of faith so you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. You know, put on the helmet of salvation and, pit, and pick up the sword of truth, which is the word of God. You know, like those things, that's your armor. <laughs> and I, I usually walk around uh, at night. My kids can attest to this. I'll, I'll walk into their rooms with my Bible. And I'll be like, the sword of God. <laughs> yeah, I'll start hitting them with it. Ah, and uh, and I'm like, I love you, good night. <laughs> and uh, it's fun, like, but it's true. This is our sword. It's right here. Pick up your sword. Okay? Don't go into battle without your sword. And then Christians, established veteran Christians. I guess that's me now. Um, you've been doing this a while. You know, you've had victories and setbacks. Don't become proud of where you are and remember that what he has done for you. And I love this imagery. I've shared it with a lot of people because it was first shared with me, uh, my friend Jason Clark. When I was going through a tough time, he explained it as a hike up a mountain. Okay? You're at the base. You're on the sunny side you know, of the mountain. You're going up. And you're like, this is good. And then you keep going. And you get, to the, you get to the dark side of the mountain. And you're like, this isn't so good. This is tough. This is hard. I don't see the road ahead. But when you come around the other side of the mountain, you're further up than where you were on the darker side. And a lot of people will say, oh, there's ups and downs, there's peaks, there's valleys, you know. Like, well, that makes it seem like you're in the same place as you were before. You're not necessarily in the same place you were before. You go through trials and tribulations, you come out closer to God than you were before. So I like the mountain image better than the, you know, this looks like a sign curve to me. Yeah, <laughs> I don't like that one. So... Uh, yeah, keep fighting the good fight. And I leave you with this, Galatians six fourteen. Uh, but far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, but which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I can't boast about anything except the cross. That's all I can boast about. Right. That's all I got. Yes. Uh, sorry, there is a song, but... Okay, um... I have, this song has hit me in so many ways, okay, so this is what I'm going to actually leave you with, and it's, it's by Switchfoot, it's called This Is Home, and I feel like for me, it's one of those, 
already and not yet things. Uh, so for me, it hits me right now. Like this is home. This is being with Christ is home. But then, when I die, I think I want this song played. Can I write that down, hun? Okay, because I'm definitely gonna go first. <laughs> so when I go, I would like this played. At, you know, I I want this song to be like I want you thinking about what is home. You know, and and where am I now that I'm off this earth? So right now I'm home. I'm with Christ. But when I'm gone, even better. So go ahead, Brandon, you can play that.